in the middle of our series on Malachi, and we've talked about that the, the theme of the book is what God says. He says, I love and I don't change. That, that's the theme of the book of Malachi. If you haven't read through it, I would encourage you to, to read through that book. You can do it quick. It's just a couple of chapters. You can sit down, just read through it, get a feel for it. Um, and we have some glitches this morning. We had some technical difficulties. So the, the title you see on the screen, How Have We Despised Your Name? We're going to use that title again because he's still talking about that. But it was supposed to be a different title, which was Didn't One God Create Us? And, and so it's kind of the idea that how have we despised your name? And we're going to look at the fact that God kind of says, well, here are some things you've been doing. Here are some things you haven't been doing. He lays this out and he comes down at the end and he says, look, I, I, didn't I create you? Didn't, didn't God create? Isn't he in charge? If he created you and he's the engineer and the manufacturer, doesn't he have the right to tell you how you are to work? Doesn't he have the right to say, this is how I want things to work. And if you use it wrongly, it's, you're going to do it to your peril. You know, um, and any of us who have ever fixed anything or tried to use a tool we weren't supposed to use for something we were doing have suffered the consequences of that at some point, right? Your screwdriver becomes a hammer, your hammer becomes a screwdriver, you know, whatever it is. And you suffer the consequences of going, oh, that's probably not a good idea. When you're done, of course, not in the middle of it. In the middle of it, you think, I am a genius, right? Like, I'm going to use this hammer and it is going to work, even though I don't have what I need. And, and it doesn't work out most of the time. And uh, so it's the same way. And so we've been looking at the fact that God has said throughout all of human history to humanity, I love you. I love you. I created you. I gave you life and breath. I put you in a perfect paradise and you despised me. You, you turned your back on me. You didn't, you didn't think I was worthy to be loved and respected and honored. And so you went a different direction. And we still see that today in our own hearts and in the world around us. We think we can just go a different direction and it'll turn out just fine. And God's like, no, it won't. You're moving further away from blessing. You're moving further away from me. And it's not going to go well. And in reality, what we're doing when we do that is we are despising his name. We're, we're turning our back on who he is and how he created us and the name he's given us under heaven by which we are to be saved, which is his name. Yahweh saves. And he's trying to say, look, I don't change. I'm not changing my mind I'm not changing how I started things. I'm not changing how I'm going to end things. I am the same God, always have been, always will be. And I just want you to understand that because in a world where everything's constantly changing, we've got to have something that we can kind of put a firm foundation on and say, is there anything that doesn't change and is there anyone that will love me unconditionally? See, that's the question of our world and it's the question we don't like. Because if something doesn't change, it means we have to adjust to it, not it adjust to us. So we don't like things that don't change. We, we like things that we can manipulate and change and move around, that we're in control of. And so we're in our series in this book. And last, here's the, the verses that, that God starts with. He says, this is an oracle. It's, it's a word to you from from a deity, from, from me myself, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you've asked, how have you loved us? That's our question, right? If God's so good, why is there evil? God's so loving, then why is there hate? God this, God that. And we never, we, we always want to point to God and point to others. We never want to take our two fingers and go, me, me. The reason 
that I think you haven't loved us is not your heart problem. It's not what you've done. It's what I've done and my descendants after me and before me have done or are doing. That, that's the issue. It's not what you've done. It's what we've done. And, and notice, when you read through the book of Malachi, you'll notice something. Most people miss this in Scripture. Listen, don't miss this in Scripture. Most of the time when God talks in Scripture, he does not talk personally to people. He talks to the group. My people, those who are called by my name, we, you plural, not you singular. Does he oft, sometimes speak in particular? Absolutely. But most of the time, God speaks in a plural form. He's trying to get us to see that there's more than ourselves. There's something bigger. There's a community. And so he looks and he says, I have not changed, you descendants of Jacob. You've not been destroyed. He says, look, you deserve to be destroyed and I haven't done it. For what you've done, you deserve to have nothing. And I continue to give you life and breath and an earth to live on when I could just do what I did in Noah's day and wipe it all out. But I haven't done that because I love you. I care about you. I want you to know me more deeply. Then he goes on to say in verse 2, and we looked at this last week. He said, therefore, this decree, he talks about the decrees he's laying out, his covenants, his words, is for you priests, if you don't listen and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says Yahweh of hosts, I'll send a curse among you. I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them because you're not taking it to heart. You know, there is so much confusion today over the word blessing, right? You see it on, I was at a show choir competition last night and this person was walking around with a bag that said blessed on it, you know? And I'm wondering to myself, does she even know what she blessed it? Like, what a real blessing is? I mean, let's be honest. If God gave you most of the things in your life you thought would be blessings, and you look back, for those of you who are younger, you haven't gotten there yet, trust me, you'll be there. You're going to look back and you're going to think, man, I prayed about that and I wanted that. And you're going to look back and go, oh, thank you that you did not give me that. Man, did I dodge a bullet there. Woo! That would have, I am so grateful to you that you didn't give me the blessing I thought I should have and I deserve because I would have missed something so much greater. And that's our hearts. And God says, look, I, I want to bless you, but I'm having to curse the things that you believe are blessings to show you they're not really blessings. They're just temporary. It's not the ultimate blessing of knowing me and having the confidence of going to heaven one day. I was talking yesterday, went out to breakfast with a guy that I drove. Uh, we drove to the show choir competition. I drove him and he said, you drive, I'll, I'll buy your breakfast. I'm like, I love breakfast. That's a win for me, even though it's not a financial win. I love breakfast, so I was happy. And so we, we sit down to breakfast and, and I'm talking to him and sharing my testimony with him and trying to find out where he's at. And he's not wanting to talk to me much about his relationship with God. And, but I'm still digging and trying to share and having this conversation, and I start talking about this idea of, of blessings. And his daughter's calling on the phone, and the blessing of a child. And, but then I'm thinking about, and we get in the conversation of the mess our culture's in, and the mess our world's in, because of sin. And I'm like, how much more does God have to show us before we'll start taking it to heart that the things we truly cherish can be gone in an instant? In an instant. And when those things are gone, here's what happens. 
our hearts get checked quick. Is God still good? Is he still loving? Is he still who he says he is, even though this thing's not with me anymore? My health, my prosperity, relationships. Do, do I take that to heart? Do I look at God and say, God, is there something I've done that's caused this? Or is this just part of the curse of mankind from the beginning, that we live in a cursed world? We are not making things better. I don't know if you know that or not. Humanity's not making things better. We make things worse all the time. And you say, well, but we're better. No, no, we're really not. We're just more creative in how to be selfish. Like, like we want a long life so that we can have more stuff for ourselves. It's not like we're really genuinely wanting like something great and grand beyond ourselves. Most people never think about that. We don't take that to heart. And so he's looking, and there's so much confusion over what's really a blessing and what isn't. And you know, I sat and I told him, my testimony, I said, I thought there were a lot of things that were blessings in my life, and God had to take those away from me one by one and put me in a hospital bed to get me to fully surrender to his call for my life, to give up my major, to say, God, whatever you want, I'll do, and I don't know what that means. And I said, it was, it was a major turning point in my life. And that's what God wants us to get. Because here's the deal. When we get to there, that's when we're going to be people who tell people about the God that created them, not the God we created. That's when we finally get to the place where it's like, I want to tell people about the God that created them, not the God I've created. And our testimonies change. No longer we're like, let me tell you why I came to, look at all the great stuff I have because I came to know Jesus. Look at my house and my cars and my... Not that those aren't blessings, but we begin to talk differently as priests. Because remember, we looked at this verse last week. We're priests if we know Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with him, he says he invites you into be a family of priests. Priests are people who just serve God. They do his work. They go out and do the work of telling people about God and how to be in right relationship with God. That was the responsibility of the priesthood. That's what they did. And they did it through multiple ways. The way people eat, the way people you know, got their food, the way they used the bathroom, the priests were in charge of that. All of it. When you read the Old Testament, the priests were in charge like, to inspect these things. And if, if, if someone went out and didn't carry their spade with them and bury their stuff like they were supposed to in Deuteronomy and they found a pile, then they had to go find whose pile it was. The priests were responsible. Who did this? You're going to cause disease. God told us not to do this. Why? Because God's mean and he doesn't want to just... No, because he, he knows about disease and germs that we don't know about. Back then, they didn't know there were diseases. Don't do that, but everybody else does it. I know. It's not better that they do that. It's not going to turn out well. Because eventually, that stuff gets back in your water system. It gets back in the things you eat. And, it, like, bury it. <laughs> do you know that the water you drink today, the water you drink today, forget about the nasty stuff, there is a ton, a ton of antibiotics and opioids and other drugs in the water you drink. Do the research. Doesn't matter. The, the water we, it is so hard to get those chemicals, especially synthetic chemicals from the drugs we make out of our water systems, we just kind of ignore it. They get flushed down the toilet, it gets back in the stream, and we just keep recycling it. Over and over. And we think, oh, we're doing better for ourselves. And we're not. 
It's a mess. And so do you just throw your hands up and say, well, it's, oh, well, I just, I'm going to live my life. Live, you only live once. I'm going to do, you know, just do what I want to do. Or do you say, you know what? I, I want to make sure I tell as many people about Jesus because we're going to die. We're killing ourselves. And he's going to come back one day. And I just want people to know that there's hope. There's hope beyond this life. You see, that's what he's trying to say. And he says, listen, you're, you've been rejected by me. And if you come to know Christ, Peter says, you're going to become a living stone. That, that's a dead stone, right? Built into a temple, he's going to say in a minute. Rejected by God, or rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. Your, your, your mind begins to change, and you begin to see the fact that, wow, I recognize that I'm rejecting the world and the way they do things. I'm pushing back against that. I'm saying, I, I recognize that the way they do, and you're embracing the fact that there's a God who said, I love you and you're valuable. I sent my son because I want you to know me. I made that choice on your behalf to create you from the foundation of the world. And my son, the Trinity itself, which is a family, said, we'll do our part. And he did his part and he sent the Holy Spirit to do the part in our hearts. That's how valuable we are. And then he says, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house. This is plural. It's us. It's not me. I'm not a, a living stone running around out here. I'm supposed to be built with others together. And then he says, a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, this is to be a holy priesthood. The old priesthood wasn't holy. They were sinful. They were a mess. Are we sinful? Yes. But, but God says, I've purified you in my son. I, I want to make you holy. And he wanted to do that with Israel, and that's why Malachi's writing is because they are so unholy. He's like, I've, you've got to stop this. And then he says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There it is again. You're a royal, you have royalty. If you know him, he says, you're a part of my family. And so if you're a priest, you're not just some hired priest. You're not some hired hand. You are of the priesthood of the family, just like the priests in the Old Testament we're going to see in a minute were from Levi. We don't trace our priesthood back to Levi. We trace it back to the man and the God, Jesus Christ. Yahweh who saves. That's my family. Listen, how much do you talk about your family or post about your family? And how much do you post about your spiritual family? God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ. There's a new definition of family according to Scripture. And God's writing Malachi saying, you guys are going back to the old ways, the old system before I redeemed you and brought you out of Egypt and made you a family that you didn't deserve. And he goes on in Galatians 5, this is what God says about our relationship with him. He said, Christ has liberated us to be set free. I want to set you free. It's not about being a priest and having all these rules and obligations. He says, but if you know you're free, you're going to stand firm and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I don't, I don't want to come back and be a slave again because I recognize what that life leads to and I don't want that life. I want a life of freedom in Christ. But I recognize that if I'm free, I don't use that freedom selfishly I use it to serve others. I place myself under. 
I was doing a study this week and I found out that the term in the Bible for endurance and perseverance, the Greek word for perseverance and endurance in the Bible, the actual word means to come under or go behind, come behind. So when God talks about us enduring as saints, enduring till the end in Revelation, when he talks about that, he's saying, just stay under me, just Get behind me, we're moving forward. It's not about you doing it, it's about us. It's, it's the family, Get, come under one another. Serve, that's what he's talking about. And he says, I love this, the fruit of the Spirit, listen, these are the things that everybody longs to have. You will sell out your life for these things eventually. You may not now. You may be pursuing other things other than this, but there will come a point in your life where you look and you say, why, how do I get these things? It says the fruit of the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, given to those who are of his family, who have invited Jesus to come into their life and be adopted into a new family of believers. They get the Spirit. We get the Spirit of God in us as a down as a deposit, as a down payment until we get the fullness of God in heaven, the fullness of the Trinity. And he says... It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. There's no law. If you're walking with God, he is going to give you so much love, so much joy, so much peace, you won't even be able to define it. You won't even be able to put, like, guardrails on it. Like, you'll be like, I'm so loved. I'm so full of joy. Like, I was... Back there singing, when we were singing those songs, and I was just enjoying just, I didn't care if you guys were singing or not, I wasn't looking at you, I didn't, I was just back there singing, because I thought to myself, because I'm back there thinking, and all of a sudden I thought, you know, last night, I was so tired driving home, because I drove home from the show choir competition in Monticello, Indiana, I got home about 1.10 last night, I'm driving back from that competition, and I don't drive well at night, and so it gets to be about midnight, and I am crashing, I mean, I'm crashing hard. I got, I got an hour, hour and 10 minutes left. What am I going to do? And I'm trying everything, slapping myself, pulling hairs. I mean, I'm trying to, I've already drank coffee, and I, that's not working. So I'm like, roll the windows down. It's zero out. But then you roll them up, and you get warm again. You're like, oh, that and I, don't know. And you're, I mean, I'm dying getting back. So I, I get this idea. I'm like, I'm going to turn on, find a Christian state, turn on, and I'm just going to dance in my car while I drive. And I wish you could have seen it. Like, I thought about recording it, but I'm like, nah, that's, you wouldn't want to see it. Anyway, and I'm thankful it wasn't daytime, because if anybody saw me, they would have thought, because I am like doing this. I'm punching the ceiling, and I'm screaming. I'm bouncing in my seat, and the car's doing this on the road, and I'm going nuts. I'm like, this is working. And I'm like singing and praising God. I'm like, this is awesome. I, I did that for a half an hour to stay awake. I'm not kidding you. Half an hour. I look like a crazy person. I did, and I didn't care. I was just, I was like, you know, I'm just going to sing. I'm going to have joy, and why am I trying all these other, like I was trying the law, right? Pull hairs out, out, oh, smack, smack. Wow, maybe I should worship. Maybe that would help. No, let's beat myself, and that'll keep me awake. That's what we do. We will use any other tactic to, to accomplish what we want and not just look at God and go, maybe I'll try your stuff. Maybe I'll try what you asked me to do. Maybe I'll sing your praise. And I'm just so busy doing that, I don't think about being tired. I don't think about being hungry. Listen, th that's what he's talking about here. And listen, 
The fruit of the Spirit moves. And this is what Malachi is trying to get his people to see. They didn't understand everything about the Holy Spirit yet. They didn't understand that. But he was trying to get them to see. If you truly believe that that God loves you and he doesn't change, the the fruit of the Spirit always leads from love to self-control. Always. If you look at that list, it seems so weird. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness. Oh, I love those things. And self-control. Oh, why? That seems like works. I don't want to do works. God loves me. He has grace. I just want some more love and joy. And he's like, no. If you want to experience the fullness of his love, the fullness of his joy, the fullness of his peace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness, if you want the fullness of all those things, you are going to control your desires for his. And he's going to pour more of that out. He's going to say, there's no law against that. Oh, here, have some more. And he's going to pour it out on you. But when we're so busy chasing these things without coming under, enduring, persevering, coming under and behind him, we end up in a mess. And he says, look, now those who belong to to the Messiah who saves, Yahweh who saves, Christ Jesus, have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. They're not pulling hairs out of their legs, smacking themselves to get to heaven, to stay awake, to try to get through life. They give up on that and they're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to sing praise. I'm going to go after him. I'm just going to do that. And then it says, since we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. Let's just do what the Spirit wants us to do and see if it works. And let's do that for a long time and see if it works. Because here's our tendency. We like do it once and then we're like, there, I controlled myself. No, you didn't. That's not self-control. If you really want self-control, you want to know how you've crossed over to the place where you're getting serious about self-control? You ready for this? You invite others to help you. Often you'll even pay others to help you. When you've finally decided, I want this part of my life dealt with, I'm done with it, I'm sick of it, I want to change, you... You will pay people to help. You will go to a gym and have some guy yell at you, call you on the phone, send you workouts. Like he, will, he or she will be all over you. Be like, oh, this is great. And then when it comes to God, it's like we're just supposed to just magically delicious get it. Like it's just going to come. Like we, we don't see that, it's, that it leads to self-control, that I want to control myself because God gives me a workout and it's so good. Like, wow, thank you, Lord. You care about me. Not, man, he must hate me this week. Look at how many things he asked me. I can't, I don't want to do any push-ups. I don't like push-ups. I don't want to do those. You must not love me because you made me do push-ups. And you know I don't like those. No, they're good for you. Just do a few. But I can't even do one. I know, we'll work on it. We'll get you there. I'll grab you and pull you up on the first five. And we'll... Not that you have to do push-ups. That's for your physical well-being. But why is it when it comes to spiritual well-being, it's all about me and my God and my thing, not How do we work together? How do I control my life, my calendar, my time, my talents, my treasures? How do I put those under to endure and persevere what God wants for me and say, God, I'm trusting you. They're yours, not mine. Because I believe if I do this according to Galatians and according to your whole book, that if I do this, it doesn't matter if I don't get anything in this life of physical value. I'm going to get all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, faith, and gentleness I could ever want in this life and in the one to come. Go on, it says this. Look, Malachi says, I'm going to rebuke your descendants and I will spread animal waste over your faces. The waste 
from your festival sacrifices and you will be taken away with it. I don't know about you, but when I read that and I was studying it, there's a part of me that I read that and I go, wow, that seems really harsh. But it's not harsh. Because what he's saying is, you're already playing in your feces. I don't know how else to get your attention other than to give it to you fully so that you fully see how awful it is. I had a personal experience with this once, with one of our children who will remain nameless. If you know my children, you'll probably know which one it is, so I'm, you know, there you go. But one of my children, I'll never forget this, we're laying down for a nap and I was home for lunch and Susan hears some commotion and she goes back and Susan comes running from the back of the house, this is when we were in Lafayette, gagging. I mean, she can't, she doesn't do well with bodily stuff and she's just, Matt, you gotta go, go back there and I'm like, oh crud, I know what this means. Like every time, I'm like, I'm that, I get to do the, yeah. And I'll never forget, I walked up to the door and I'll never forget, I was like, she goes, now don't be mad, just go see. Like you will not believe this. Okay, and, I, and I, I quietly opened the door and peeked in, and all I saw, not kidding you, all I saw was a kid, naked, no diaper on, poop smeared all over the back and legs, and then on the little kitchen that they were playing in, ironing it with their iron across the board. And then I looked down here, and I'm looking in, and there have been cups filled with it. And they're playing kitchen in cups, like little, little you know, kids' cups. And it's, it's smeared on the wall. And I'm like, and, I, and here's what I honestly did. I shut the door. I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I, I was like, I took a moment and I shut the door and I went, what? Like, I had to stop for a minute. No, seriously, I had to stop for a minute just to go, did I just see that? Like, there was a moment where I was like, did I just see what I think I saw? And I looked at Susan. She goes, yeah, you, like, she's looking at me going, yeah, you saw it. And I'll never forget, I didn't go in angry, which is my normal response to messes when my kids were younger. I couldn't stand having messes. I'm better now. Not perfect, but better. And I, I remember just opening the door and saying, hey, and they turned around, and they're just smiling. Like, and they're like, they have no idea what they're doing right now. And then having to have the conversation, we don't do this, and, you're not, and we never had a problem again once we had the conversation and talked through it. And threw out those toys. We literally put them in a bag and pitched them. Like they were gone, like most of them. Because it was in, embedded. I was, it was awful. Now we laugh about that. But God says that's how children act because they're unwilling to be taught any differently. And they're unwilling to let themselves be cleaned up and so they just keep playing in it. And you ready for this? Remember, who's Malachi talking to at this point? Priests. And you priests are just fine to shut the door and walk away. Well, hope she figures it out someday. I'll have to burn that room later. Like, I mean, instead of engaging with love and truth, moving into the situation to say, you can't do this. Just last year, there was a huge, huge uh, undercover operation in Los Angeles. You can look this up online. And they found that, that in some of the high-end stores, in the, in the, uh, the uh, high-end store of fashion and makeup in Los Angeles, 
up to 50 to 75% of the products that they tested had animal feces in it for makeup. A lot of it knockoff brands. And we put it on our faces. Why? Because we want to look good. We want to, not against makeup. Good makeup. They test it. They make sure those things aren't in there. There are rules and regulations. But what if we just threw out the rules and regulations? You think makeup companies would be like really honorable? Well, now we don't have those rules and regulations. We're going to even go higher standard now. No, they're going to go lower standards to make more money, to take advantage of more people. That's just who we are as human beings. And we need laws that control us for our good. And we need other people to enforce those laws. We know this, but then when it comes to Christianity to your God, it's like, no, that's different. It's just me and Jesus. And he goes on, he says, then you will know that I sent you this decree. He's like, then you'll finally understand when it gets this bad that I sent you this decree so my covenant with Levi may continue. Levi was the, uh, the priests of the Old Testament, those that were of the tribe of Levi, which Moses was from the tribe of Levi. They were the priests and they passed down the priesthood. Now, you try to find the covenant of Levi in the Old Testament, and you kind of have to look a little bit. It's not really explicit totally, but it's very implicit. God said these would be the people that would be my priests. And the real place you find a firm um, talking of it is when Phineas keeps a plague from happening, and he steps in, which was the grandson of Aaron, and stops a plague. It's in Numbers and it says, behold, I will give to him and his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood. Here's why. Because he was jealous for me, for his God, and made atonement for the people. I, I'm looking for priests who will be jealous for me. They'll love me. They'll want me. This is Numbers 25, 10 through 13. They'll love me. They'll want me. And they'll go to the people and care about them and tell them the truth about me. That's the kind of priests I'm looking for. Here's the problem. He goes on and he says this. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. Isn't that what we just read? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's the life we want. And I gave them to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. The priests were the ones that would lead in worship. They would stand and call the people. They'd blow the shofars. They'd blow the horns. They would call the people to the festivals, call the people. They would go find them. What are you doing? Don't do that. We're worshiping now. And they would bring them in as their responsibility, and then they were to carry out their responsibilities, and they all had different ones fully within the body. And it goes on, he says, true instruction was in his mouth. Levi and his grandson Phineas wanted to give true instruction to the people. They saw the plague. They saw what was happening in people's lives. And they're like, we just want true instruction from our God. We don't want to lie to people. We don't want to manipulate people. And then it says, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and fairness and turned many from sin. Now, here's what happened. We go, wait a minute. No, he didn't walk totally. See, what God's doing here is he's switching. He's leaving a messianic prophecy right here. He's saying, I'm going to bring a covenant. I've brought a covenant, and it's a perpetual covenant. And that perpetual covenant is going to come through the priest of my choosing. Just like I chose Levi. And the priest of my choosing is my son, who is the ultimate priest. He is the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews says. He's not an earthly priest, he's a heavenly priest. And then he says, 
They will turn many from their sin. See, that's the thing. We don't want to turn people from their sin. We just want them to act better so they don't hurt us. We don't want to really look at someone and say, man, be careful with your soul. Be careful with where you're headed. I'm, I'm concerned for you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'll still love you, but don't. this is scary stuff. And then he says, he walked with me in peace and fairness. For the lips of a priest, here's the deal, a lips of a priest, which we are all priests if we know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're not a priest of God. This doesn't apply to you yet. Yet, I hope you come to know him so that you can do this because it's a wonderful thing you get to do. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth because he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts, which is, we remember, this is the term used over and over in Malachi. He is the messenger of the one in heaven, Yahweh, who has armies he is holding back to keep from destroying us. That's what Lord of hosts means. He's holding back his armies and this guy is his priest. You better listen. Because if you don't listen, the armies are coming and you won't be ready. And so he looks and he says, he wants you to know him. He's holding back so that you might know him. It goes on, it says, you on the other hand have turned from the way. You've turned from the way. I wanted to bring a perpetual priest. I, I wanted to bring a relationship that was eternal and secure and you keep turning. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You keep causing people to stumble. You're not leading them to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentle, and self-control. You're leading them to, well, how do you feel about that? Listen, it's not wrong to feel. We should have feelings. That's what those love, joy, peace, those are feelings. But we live in a culture where if you challenge someone's feelings, that is the ultimate act of disrespect. How dare you challenge my feelings? How do you think the people felt when animal feces was being wiped on their face? God knew how they felt, and he kept telling them the truth of how you should be feeling right now, like repentant, not mad at me, not you don't love me, you don't care about me, but oh my goodness, what have we done? And, and, and even though I'm suffering, maybe I didn't do anything, but what have others done? Hello, that's the gospel. Our Savior died, not for any single thing he did, but because he said, I'm willing to do this for all those idiots. And the second we're asked to do that, it's, well, my feelings, I'm not doing it, I can't, no, it's too hard, I'm not one Do you know what the book says? Do you know what God we serve? He goes on, he says, you violated the covenant of Levi. You were supposed to be people that looked out for the people and obeyed me and led them to want to obey me and love me. And instead, you're telling them, you can have what you want. God's happy with you. Just do what you want. He'll be content with it. However you want to go to the bathroom, just go that way. It's no big deal. He cares about it. No, he has a rule about that. Don't do it. Well, but I don't understand. It seems like a stupid rule. Well, that's because you don't understand germ theory yet because it's like 6,000 years ago. Now we understand germ theory. Like, wow, God's a genius. Yeah, don't just go anywhere you want and think it's going to be okay. We actually write tickets to people who do that. They get thrown in jail for public indecency and don't do that. It wasn't that long ago that the plague spread through Europe because they wouldn't go to the bathroom the right way. That hasn't been too long in our earthly history and God the whole time is like, I got, I got something to say about that. You need a spade. 
and you need to dig a hole and bury it. That's just a lot of work. Now, should we go out and bury it? No, we have a way to bury it now. We have actual water systems that bury it and take it out. Like we, we understand the consequences now. But see, that's the problem. I'm like you are. If God won't tell me why and he won't tell me the consequences, then I'm just going to do what I want. If I don't understand it, if I don't get it, then I don't have to do it. Listen, doing good works will not save you. It doesn't get you in better with God. Doing good works tells people how much you love him and tells other people how great God is. That's it. That's all good works do. Because your works are like filthy rag. The word filthy rag that Paul uses for that, that term, filthy rag, it means like rags that are wrapped around infectious gangrene wounds. Like that's your works. Like, good job compared to me. The amazing part is God says, I want to take those rags and I want to wash them. I want to clean you wider than snow so that your works are worthy of something greater than yourself. He goes on and he says this. In 2 Timothy, this is what Paul warns Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead. He's the Lord of hosts. He's Yahweh who has armies at his disposal. And because of his appearing in his kingdom that's coming, he says, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke people, correct them, and encourage them with great patience and teaching. And you're like, wow, that sounds... I like some of that. And then he says, for the time will come. Will come. It doesn't say might come. Well, if you do a bad job of teaching, it could. He says, no, the time is going to come. Listen, there are people in your life that you've done this with, and the time came with them, and they, they just won't listen. And you know it, and they know it, and you don't know how to have a relationship with them now because it's just broken. Because the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. That's sound beliefs about who God is. And instead, they will multiply, or I'm sorry, but according to their own desires, in other words, they don't want to do what Malachi is saying. They don't want to surrender their desires to, to say, I'm your priest, you tell me what to do. No, I have certain desires I want. Here's, this, here's what it says. They will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. It's exactly what Malachi is talking about. God has given you the entire Old Testament and you guys keep making treaties with nations and well, I like what they do and I like what they do and I, you're going around finding all these self-help things and God's like, hello, I want to help you. <laughs> Get around some people who know me so they can help you. Quit running to places. Now, does that mean we don't run to doctors that may not know Jesus? No, we, we can. And when we run to them, guess what we get to do? We get to just tell them about him. Hey, thanks for being a doctor. Do you know God gave you that gift? You have a mind because God hasn't made you crazy. I'm grateful he gave you a mind. That's what my sister used to do when she would go in for her treatments and cancer. She would look right at the best cancer doctor and say, you're still going to hell. I'm just glad you're my doctor. Like she would say stuff like that to him. And he would get so mad at her. And then when she was cured the second time miraculously before God cured her ultimately by taking her home to be with him forever, he looked at her you know, as white as a sheet. He was like, I don't know how to tell you. Your cancer's gone. And you'd stop taking your medicine, and that's impossible. She was like, I told you. <laughs> Whether you would have healed me or not, I've been telling you there's a God that's behind all this. You have nothing, like, I'm grateful you're, but, eh. He's bigger than you. 
that's how we should move into the world as we talk with people. That he's the authority. He, we get under him, not I'm going to place myself under all this stuff. So many times as a pastor, and you may have had this, when you're trying to, to correct someone and help them, and they bring out another pastor or another blog to like hit you with, well, I heard from this guy numerous times, this has been my conversation with people, really, if you think he should be your pastor, then sell your house here in Bloomington, leave our church, and go join his church. Now, he might have some good things to say. I'm open to rebuke myself. I'm not against reading or studying. But when you're coming to me rejecting something that we've said in Scripture that's pretty clear, and then you're grabbing somebody to come, I'm like, okay, fine. Make them your priest. Make them your pastor. Go to them. Don't, don't expect to come here and be like, I'm bringing my other wife in. Aren't you okay with that? Like, I'm getting a new honey, bringing her, because you don't do these things well. You don't do the laundry well. She does laundry really well. Excuse me? And he goes on. He says this. He said, they will turn away from hearing the truth and they will turn aside to myths. See, myths are things that give us the feelings we want, right? They twist the story to get us involved and drag us in. And, and these myths, like, ooh, it's mystic and ooh, ah. And God's like, just speaks clearly. <laughs> Here it is. Now, is God mysterious? Yeah. There's parts of himself he decided not to reveal to us. But he's revealed so much of it to us that we have plenty of time. We could exhaust the scriptures and never run out of like, information. And he says, but as for you, be serious about everything. Take life seriously. It's great. It's a great life. Just take it seriously. And then he says, endure hardship. It's going to be hard to take life seriously because nobody wants to take life seriously. They don't want to take the church seriously. They don't want to take the body of Christ seriously. They don't want to take their, their covenant seriously. Remember, he's talking about, in this passage, he's talking about a relationship with Jesus. Take it seriously. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He looks at Timothy. He says, do the work of just serving people and telling them about me. An evangelist is someone who just goes out and tells about how great God is. That's what an evangelist does. And he says, fulfill your ministry. Do what God's asked you to do. So Malachi says, so in turn, I've made you despised and humiliated because you didn't do what Timothy says. You, you haven't done what God has asked because you're not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in your, your instruction. That's what Timothy just talked about. He said, you, you want to pick and choose who you like and what verses you like and all this stuff. You, you want to show partiality and, and we're better than them. And you don't want to just say, hey, here's reality. Here are the covenants you made. Here's the decisions you made. And you're showing partiality. And that's where he says, don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? It's, it's not about us. It's not about us trying to make our own tribes. And here's my little tribe over here. And here's my little tribe. It's saying, what does it look like to be in his tribe, God's tribe, his family, and, and to surrender to that? And normally you're going to have to endure hardship. It's not easy because we got messed up family members. I'm one of them. You got family members driving in cars, you know, punching things and screaming and going nuts. You're like, that's, that's, that's my dad. He's just trying to stay awake. I don't know why he's doing that. He goes on and he says, I love this. Why then do we act treacherously against one another? Profaning the covenant of our fathers. Listen, we think... The opposite of treachery is like not being nice. That's not the opposite of treachery. Most treacherous people are really nice up front. 
Hitler seemed like the right guy from the beginning for Germany. He loved the German people. He had a mission to make them great again. He, he, Hitler was the, this, he's going to save us. He's going to bring Germany back on top. We, wow, what a guy. You would have taken five minutes to really understand where his doctrine led. You would have figured out what was going to happen. You see, we, we, we create these tribes. He says, it's so easy to act. The opposite of treachery is simple. It's just truth. The opposite of being treacherous is having truth. Here's the truth about what God says about himself and you and your connection to his people and who we are. And then he says, look at this. We've now used Jacob and Esau. We've used Levi. God's going through the Old Testament talking about covenants he's made with people. Jesus comes from the lion of the tribe of Judah, a covenant that God fulfills in Jesus. Levi was fulfilled in Jesus. Jacob fulfilled in Jesus. All of those covenants fulfilled in the person of Christ. Look at this. He says, Judah has acted treacherously. Wait, I thought you were going to use Judah to be the one that brings the armies. Like he's going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Like he's, Judah's going to be this great, incredible king. And and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. A detestable thing? What detestable thing? Like, what if, like the proper response would be, what have we done? What's been detestable? And he says, for Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Can I just tell you that the number one fight you will have with God in your life is the order of how you order your relationships. Number one fight you'll have in your life. You won't feel loved, you'll go look for it. You don't feel joy, you'll try to find some people who have joy. You don't feel peace, you go to find some people that seem like they have peace. You, you can so easily get hitched up with someone you have no business being hitched up with. Now, does that mean we don't you know, love lost people and go to their homes and talk to them and care about them? and share? No, not at all. That's not the issue. Marriage is a covenant. He's saying be careful when you move into those relationships. You don't connect so closely to them that they go over me, that they're more important than me. You have to be under me. Listen, my daughter just got engaged last Sunday. Most of you probably know that. She saw Facebook, but she got engaged last Sunday. Poor Miles. With what we've been through with Micaiah, I told him when he started dating her, I'm like, dude, you're just going to have to be patient with us and give us some grace because we're struggling with relationships right now. And I'm just letting you know, it's just, this is an issue I see over and over again in the church. And I'm just, I, I just, I want to be, just be patient with us. When he asked for, to marry Micaiah the first time, I told him no. No. He looked at me like, Okay, I don't, I don't know what to do now. And I, but I didn't just say no. I looked at him and said, no, now here's why. I need a plan. I need to know that you've thought through how to love my daughter enough that you're willing to come under the covenant of God that he's called you to as a husband. What, what's your plan? I don't have to agree with your plan. <laughs> I don't have to like your plan. I just want to know you have one. That you care enough about her to think through her future that you're going to take her on. And he said, okay. And he spent a month with his dad formulating a plan. When I say dad, I don't just mean heavenly father. He went to a earthly authority, his earthly father, and his pastor. And he said, help me walk through this. And he brought back to me a, like a business plan. Here, here's what I'm thinking. I don't know if it'll work out, but this is, this is how I kind of see things right now. I'm like, okay, great, thanks. You got my permission. That was, yeah, I just need to see you thought through it. I don't have, 
I don't want you to think that she's going to solve your problems. I've been married a long time. Yeah. Those of us who are laughing, you're like, they don't, we don't solve each other. Do we help one another? Absolutely. It's what are called helpmates. What marriage does is show you how desperately you need Jesus, how desperately you need him, how desperately he's brought you to each other to be like, you need, you need, okay, let's all need. Like, let's all, if we don't all need, we're in trouble. That's what marriage is supposed to do. That's why they sinned in Eden in Genesis is because Adam was supposed to say, no, 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 we're going to honor God. And Eve was supposed to say, shut up, Satan, Satan, serpent, we're going to honor God. And my husband said, don't eat this. So we're all just going to do what God says. And everybody instead said, let's not do what God says. And then blamed each other when God called him out. When he came and said, you guys did this. No, the woman you gave me. Well, it was the serpent. No, it was, it was your fault. Like it, I gave you one rule. That tree, no, eat anything else you want. As much as you want, forever. I want that tree. That's our heart. And he's saying, look, Judah has profaned because he keeps chasing the thing he's not supposed to have. Stop chasing things God says not to have. He said, don't marry foreign women and gods. They're going to they're gonna corrupt you. Make sure you're on. It goes on, it says this in Revelation. When God wraps up his book, this is what he says. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Sitting with my daughter last night at a Kroger Starbucks because I had a gift card. And I'm like, I don't want to spend money, but I got a gift card, so let's go to Kroger Starbucks. So we went to Kroger Starbucks and they kept it below the gift card. I was really happy. Like I have like 50 cents left. Anyway, so which Kroger? We all got a little coffee and we're sitting there talking about the wedding. What's, what's coming up? And they're asking me questions and I'm throwing questions back at them. And, and at one point, Makaya looks at me and she says, Dad, really, just the only thing we really want you to do is we just want you to pray over our meal and pray for the people at our reception. And I said, good, who's giving you away? <laughs> and she went, no, no, that too. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I... Like a bride adorned for her husband. And they're asking me questions. And I looked at them and I said, don't be surprised if I don't cry at your wedding. I've already done my crying. I might cry tears of joy, but they're not going to be cries of sadness. I, I've walked through the sadness. I'm going to be excited to do this. That's why I told you yes. You guys can know you have my yes. I, I'm excited to do this. Like, I'm, I'm excited. There's no like, I just, like, no, you're supposed to grow up. You're supposed to go out. You're supposed to connect to godly men and women on mission for God. I, that's as close as I, are you going to have problems? Yep, you're both human. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to do it. But as far as I can tell, both of you want to walk with Jesus and you've proven it because you serve the body of Christ. Miles has been at our church, that's Micaiah's boyfriend, one time. Why? Because he's serving his church. He's a music leader at his church, a church plant in Muncie. If he came here, I'd be like, why are you here? Go back to your church. Go back to your family. You don't try to earn my blessing. Just go serve. It goes on, and I love this. In Revelation, it says it this way. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven plagues, that's the Lord of armies is unleashing, he says, and spoke with me, that's John, the apostle, come, come, 
Come to the wedding. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The lamb who is Jesus, the bridegroom. Then he carried me away in the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Self he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Man, I was so full of love, joy, peace, patience. I'm standing on this mountain like, this is awesome. And then he says, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven of God. That means the curse is over. No more earthly curse. I'm bringing paradise back. John's like, yes. It goes on and it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I'm the root of the offspring of David, the bright morning star, both the spirit and the bride. That is the spirit of God and the bride, his church. That's us, the body of Christ, the local bride. Says, come, anyone, anyone who hears should, should say, come, and the one who is thirsty, come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. You can't earn it. It's a gift. But you don't want to pollute the water. I want to come to God and say, I don't want to be a pollution to you. I want to give everything I've got. And I'm a mess. And God says, it's all right. I'll clean you. I'll sanctify you. I'll purify you. But you know how you purify water? You boil it. You heat it. It gets hot. It's intense. He goes and he goes, I, I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. That's exactly what Malachi said. He said, I'm turning your curses or your blessings into curses because I don't know how any other way to get your attention. I don't know what to do anymore. John the Baptist, when he was thinking through this, said it this way. John responded, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven, like a bride. Adorned for her husband. A father who gives his bride away. I, 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 give, I give it away. Here you go. He says, it's given to him. You yourselves can testify that I, John, said I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. I'm just a prophet, just like Malachi. But I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. Jesus' bride did, He's got the bride, that means he's the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him, the bridal part, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete, John says. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm so full of joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm so full of it. Oh, I'm ready, whatever happens. And right after this, he gets his head cut off. My joy is complete. I don't have to try to please Herod. I'm going to tell him about his sin. I'm going to tell him he needs to repent. I'm going to tell him he needs to get right with God because his, even his ancient ancestors, which trace back to Esau, wouldn't get right with God. And i got to tell him he needs to get right with God. That's what Malachi said to Esau's descendants, get right with God. He's great. And he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That is the beautiful picture of a relationship. Where two people are saying, hey, let's just decrease so God can get all the glory. Let's, let's get him. Let's, let's the both of us decrease and let him increase. And instead, we're in a culture that says you need more increase. You need increase. That person should give you more increase. If they're not giving you your increase, and you go find. You. Malachi says, to the man who does this, who doesn't listen, who rejects me, the man who does this, may the Lord cut off any descendants from the tents of Jacob, even if they present an offering to the Lord of hosts. This is one of those hard verses in Scripture. 
hard verse. Where it's like God says, I love and don't change, and I'm, I don't expect me to accept your offering just because you feel bad. Don't expect me, to, like, we need to do business with how you're doing life. And then Malachi wraps up and he says, and this is another thing you do. Listen, as I wrap up, this is our culture today. It says, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning. Stop, don't read any further. Whenever we see that in people, our first response is, how do we fix it? Our first response is rarely, why are they crying? God's first response is, why are you so emotional? Not wrong to be emotional, but why? He looks and he says, you're weeping, you're groaning. If we saw this in church, most of us would flock to someone who is in that position and want to pray over them and help them. And if we're not careful, we don't use wisdom, we can enable people to be attention getters. We can enable people to, to never really do business with God. They just are emotional, crazy people. And he says, he no longer respects your offering or receives them gladly from your hand. I'm not here trying to get you to have an emotional experience. I'm not trying to get you to get all hyped up. I'm not trying to get you to get in the car and swinging fists and dancing to, to get through life. I just want like Malachi and like John and Peter that we read today and Timothy and Paul and all these people. I just want you to get that God wants us to weep and groan over our sin. And he says if we do that, he'll forgive us and he'll restore us. But if we think that we can just weep and groan and then we're not willing to go to self-control, we're not willing to let God change us in the power of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit leads us from love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. He's gentle with us to tell us to control ourselves. If we're not willing to do that, then don't expect when you give your offering that God's like, I, it's dirty. I don't, I can't have it. Because see, here's the deal. If you know, listen, if you know that you're so broken and you're weeping and groaning because of your sin, you don't try to give an offering. You give yourself. You don't try to give something else with God and say, we're good, right? I felt really bad. You say, I'm, I'm it. I'm done. I'm done. Whatever you want. You have my heart. Because that's what Malachi said. He doesn't have your heart. You have my heart. I, I got nothing else. And when you find people like that, that's when cool things start happening. That's when people start getting changed. And then God lovingly starts to dig and help us to walk in his spirit. And then when we deal with it, wow, does he change us? Does he reveal himself to us? Does he pour himself out and show us, yes, you've despised your name, but I'm the God that created you and I still love you and I don't change.